Welcome to Like a Bigfoot Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week, we are sitting down. We're chatting with a wonderful human being, an amazing adventurer, and uh, just an absolutely awesome athlete, Val Gagne. I met Val on the Capic One expedition to the Atacama Desert. Uh, Val was one of our expedition leaders. Uh, she made sure that we made it through the desert safely and uh, didn't get lost. So, you know, maybe I'm here right now because Val made sure I didn't get lost. <laughs> um, I'm very excited to share this episode because Val has done all sorts of incredible things all around the world. Um, she's gone on big time expeditions to polar regions. She's gone to expeditions through the desert. Um, and all of those experiences for Val have been with teams, uh, and they've been big experiences. Like you'll hear, we talk a little bit about it. Like these are big experiences way outside your comfort zone, um, doing things that are way, way, way out in the wilderness and having big experiences like that with other people, that is like intimidating enough and outside your comfort zone enough uh but going out and taking something on solo is a whole new aspect of it a whole new adventure um and so we're recording this podcast just a few days after val has completed circumnavigating the eye of quebec in winter in canada on skis, uh, this is a multi-multi-day um, circumnavigation. She didn't see another person the whole entire time. Um, and in this episode of the podcast, we sit down and we talk about what that feels like. You know, like it's one thing to step into the unknown with other people or other other adventurers who might be more experienced than you right and you're learning from them or you're with a partner and your your strengths you know complete that person's weaknesses and vice versa right but it's a whole nother ball game to go out there completely alone you know not only are you having to deal with all the things that come about on an expedition all the external stuff but now you're dealing with the internal um, kind of intimidation factor and the solitude and things like that. And I know this was a very meaningful experience for Val. And I know that these things take some time to process, you know, so her perspective in a month from now or a couple months from now might be different than her perspective right now, like fresh off the adventure. Um, but I wanted to hear it. I wanted to hear about it right after the adventure. I wanted to hear about it kind of, you know, just a few days later to see, you know, how, what she thinks about it and how she's comprehending it right now in the moment. So uh, let's get into it. This is Like a Bigfoot podcast number 370 with Val Gagne. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited to welcome uh, just an absolutely amazing adventurer, Val Gagne, to the podcast. Uh, Val just got done doing this amazing, like, first of all, right now, everyone should pause the podcast and look up what the Eye of Quebec looks like, because it was mind-blowing, just the picture of it on a map, and the fact that you were able to do this like epic solo adventure in the middle of winter on it is amazing. So Val, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to hear all about this. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. So um, I want to, I kind of want to just start with the adventure that you just went on, if that's okay. Um, and yeah, then we can get into your background as an athlete and some of the other expeditions that you've been on and you know any stories you want to share like i'm totally down to hear and and um you're welcome to share them but can you tell me about this eye of quebec project like how did that come on your radar like you know how did you come up with the idea 
Yeah, so I was looking for a project where I could um, kind of get a better experience of going solo on a winter adventure. Yeah. Um, because I do have experience in uh, doing expeditions in the winter with partners. Um, like I went last year to Baffin Island and that was a crazy adventure, but I wanted to really solidify my um, my skills as a solo adventurer. Because, you know, when you're uh, going with a bunch of other people, then you're always splitting tasks and yeah. you always end up not doing the things that scare you the most or that you have less experience doing or that you're just not as comfortable doing. So I just wanted to like put myself in a situation where I had to do everything to build up my experience and my uh, yeah my skill level and, and build up my confidence in doing that. So uh, just to become a better adventure overall. Um, and so looking at my vacation dates from like that I could get off from work. Um, I had a, a short window where I could do like a week long expedition. Um, yeah. Didn't really have time to travel to a very far place. Um, and so I looked within Quebec, what would be a good place to to start and so yeah the eye of quebec is uh, basically it's a reservoir that's created by um a hydroelectric dam so it was all it, it was um a crater uh, that was like um yeah an impact crater uh 200 like more than 200 million years ago that formed this geographical um, place in, in Quebec. It's northern, like northeastern Quebec. And um, so basically it, it was, it used to be two very, very small rivers that um, flooded down and met in the south. And then with that hydro dam that was built over years, that whole area flooded. And so now it's like a big lake that's um, like a circle and it goes around this huge island that's called the René Levasseur Island and so basically the, that combo of the island and the lake around it um, that's what they call the Eye of Quebec yeah so it's... in the winter it's uh, completely frozen and so that's why I thought well maybe I could ski around it <laughs> it's like the one of the most unique features i've ever seen from like just a map because if i yeah. I, I typed it in on google and the map came up and i was like this is something i've never seen before it almost looks like a circular river you know what i yeah. mean it's crazy yeah. yeah and so and it's visible from space actually um really yeah it's, it's really it's really huge yeah. yeah that's so crazy so what an awesome like i mean have have people ever done anything like this like have people yeah. do people hike it or whatever or is it so in in the summer people will kayak around okay. the island oh yeah that makes sense um and, and in the winter people have done this this expedition multiple times like it's not a first of, of yeah. anything but um for me it was a good place uh to do my expedition because it's not as um remote and as intense as like a big arctic expedition would be and so to test myself in a solo environment i thought well this is a good place to do it because it's um easily accessible by car and there's like there's um this uh station that they call it it's like a research station that's right on the reservoir and so you can sleep there and and so it's just like a yeah logistically very accessible expedition to to do so that's yeah. why I, I chose it yeah it still looks like really really remote though to me i'm like oh, maybe no, it, is, yeah. it is remote it is remote but yeah. in terms of like polar style expedition because we're not like we're not in, in the arctic or, yeah. or anything like that but it is um, I call it polar style expedition just because like I, I was bringing the exact same equipment that I would in the Arctic, you know, yeah, and yeah. so kind of training for a possible future expedition in a pole. So, um, yeah, but and but still very remote. I mean, I was out there for six days. I did not see a single human being. Right. So, yeah. 
That's amazing. It's still, it's still pretty remote. Yeah. Yeah. So going from an expedition, which you've done a whole bunch and we can get into some of them later. Um, yeah. but going from these expeditions where you're with a team, um, and now you're completely by yourself for six days. Like, I want to hear about just what the solitude felt like. And that has, that's outside of pretty much anyone's comfort zone being by themselves that long. It feels like. Yeah. Um, it's never something that I've really been uncomfortable with. Like I'm okay with being by myself and being with my own thoughts and it wasn't uh so much of an issue because i ended up really pushing myself and having really big goals um and so every day i was skiing 10 plus hours a day and so every minute of my day was like my mind was busy yeah and i was thinking about progress and forward movement and so I never really had time to um think about how lonely I was yeah you know what I mean it just like um I I was just skiing I was doing one kilometer after the next just counting them down every day and that was my only focus and then when I uh stopped for the day then I my whole focus changed and then I had to set up camp I had to uh boil water I had to make dinner and then um, all of these things that you need to do in order to survive took priority over looking around me and, and being like, oh, well, I'm out by myself out here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes that makes sense. What um you mentioned, like the skills on that you use on a team versus the skills as a solo adventurer um, where the teammates, you know, if you're not this isn't your strong, this one thing isn't your strong suit. You don't have to do it because maybe your teammates do it and then you focus on your strengths. What kind of skills would you say were things you definitely like wanted to work on by yourself, you know? Well, for me, it was definitely working the burner um, because that's like something that yeah. like I know how to do it, but when you're doing a winter expedition, it's not the same as a summer expedition where you know, in the summer, you've got your little jet boil, it's easy, propane, you know, you got your lighter, bing, bang, it's done. It, you know, you've got a fire going. Yeah. Um, but in the winter, you're, doing, you're dealing with uh, white gas and the pump and the pump will freeze. And you've got, you know, when you're lighting it, it pops into like this big fireball. And then like, it, it's got to come down to like little flame and all that. Yeah. So like that whole part of winter expeditions was something that I was I wasn't scared but I never really put my hand up on a team and say let me be in charge of the burner like I would let, always let someone else do it and so I, I said well it's not the same to just go in your backyard and and practice yeah. right you yeah. have to be in an expedition environment and uh, you've got to have your your uh, fingers frozen and you're tired from the day and yeah. then like all these things to really be in that environment where well I have to get this burner going or else I'm not going to eat tonight you know yeah. Yeah. being in that environment where it's like you have to get it going um so like the pressure of it is definitely something that I want to like put myself um in that situation and and work on it so what grade would you give yourself um i would give myself well like for the whole um working the stove probably yeah, like a seven yeah. out of ten that that's passing yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so did like it, you know i did did you improve mistakes, like, yeah did you improve as you went or what um <clears throat> no not necessarily because like you know first night it went fine second yeah. night I couldn't get the, like, it was a, a big ball of fire and I couldn't get it to like come down into this little blue flame. Um, and so I had to try multiple times. Then like the third night it, it went the, and then like, I didn't pump it enough. And so the flame uh, went out and then I had to restart it again. Yeah. And then, so like all these things. And then on the fourth night, I tried to open one of my fuel bottles and I realized because I was so scared at the beginning of my 
expedition that my fuel bottles will, would leak, which I've heard has happened on multiple mm. expeditions, yeah. that I tightened them so hard <laughs> that then I was out there and I couldn't open them. <laughs> you have because, too you much know, strength. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have so much like your strength at the beginning of an expedition is so much higher than it is after <laughs> your fourth night out there. Yeah. And then like at the end of the day, you're tired, your hands are a little bit frozen you know you you've held on to your ski poles the whole day and then you're trying to open this fuel bottle and it yeah. just wasn't happening so yeah it wow. was uh, that was another learning curve so yeah i had to like get uh the, my ice screw in the cap and then use that as leverage and all that so yeah that's crazy that's kind of like there's probably so many like little aspects specifically of like Arctic or winter expeditions that most people don't even consider. Like yeah. I've talked to a, quite a few of people who have done things like that and I've never even thought about that. And what an important part of the whole experience, you know? Yeah. And it's a big, um, it, like a major skill to have to be able to work your burner because like it's your uh, heat source for the evening in your tent. And it's the only way that you're going to eat a hot meal. It's the only way that you're going to warm up by drinking warm liquids. Um, and, and I used it for so many other things, like drying out my boot liners. I had to melt out the ice from one of my bindings one night. And yeah. so it's like, you know, having that source of fire is is life, basically, when you're out there. So. Yeah. You better yeah. know how to work that burner. <laughs> well, yeah. and I, I like the idea of you, you know, understanding like that's something that you didn't have the experience with and then putting yourself out there, you know, and, yeah. and getting the experience. Because now I'm sure by the end of it, you might have felt a lot more comfortable than you did yeah. at the beginning. You know, Absolutely. Absolutely. And now like I would easily be on a team and say, yes like give me that responsibility and and i can i can do it yeah that's awesome mm -hmm. well um i want to hear just like i don't know what it was because i'm sure a lot of it seemingly has blend blended together in your mind because like just a lot of the experience but is there some specific moments that kind of stick out to you as ones that were very memorable or something like you'll never forget yeah there's there's a few so um, basically the days kind of resemble each other, right? Yeah. You're getting up super early, like, uh, my phone would go off at 4.30 AM and I'd be, uh, starting to ski between 6 and 6.20 AM and then like ski for 10 days and stop just as the sun was setting or a little yeah. bit after as I still had some daylight, um, to set up the tent. But in between those days, well, very first day, um, I got into some slush, yeah. uh, and it was one of my first experiences skiing through slush. And I did one of the biggest mistakes that I could have done. Um, whereas I, I went through, got my, my skis soaked. I got my boots soaked. My bindings were frozen. And so like got myself out, walked over to the, the other side on the harder packed snow. And then uh, my sled behind me kind of got stuck in the slush yeah and I thought that I could just pull it out with like brute force so on my skis you know kind of bent down hunched over pulled on the sled it wasn't moving I fell on my knees and then so I got my skis off and then I pulled again uh just on my like with my boots yeah pulled again still wasn't moving wow so then I had to um go into the slush with my boots got some water into my boots and then i had to take some of the bags out of my sled to be able to then push it through the slush yeah so that was like 20 kilometers into my expedition this um this happens and i'm like okay what do i do now because now i can't ski anymore i can't my sled isn't uh gliding on the snow anymore because it's full of slush now it's um accumulating snow underneath and I've got you know my boots are wet yeah. and it's uh minus 20 degrees celsius like you have to in that moment I was kind of thinking okay what do I do now so I kind of just got 
got moving. I um, took the all, like I scraped all of the snow and ice off of my skis off the bottom of the sled. I de-iced the bindings, uh, put my skis back on and, and kept moving so that I could, um, you know, generate heat in my feet and, and not freeze my, my um, toes. Yeah. So then I, I stopped for the night and uh, the next morning woke up. I couldn't move my neck. Like Whoa. from the straining. Pulled, uh, yeah. I pulled wow. something in my neck and uh, like right now, like I still have to like put my head on um, like rest my head onto my hand because it's very painful. Wow. Um, and so for the next, you know, f- five days after that, um, it was extremely painful in my neck, in my um, upper back. Um, I couldn't, so I was skiing, I was looking at my feet and I couldn't bring like my, pull my head up and look in front of me. I had to physically take my hands and pull my head up to look where I was going and make sure I was going in the right direction. Whoa. Um, I, I had like my harness system was a backpack um, to pull my sled. And after that, I couldn't put the straps on my shoulders anymore. So I had to only pull with my hip strap. Um, and so that was kind of, yeah, a big, big event that happened early on. Yeah. I will not forget that uh, I'm not stronger than slush is. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. I mean, I think most people would have probably done that because you're like, yeah. surely I can pull this thing through yeah exactly. This, like, yeah exactly it's just those sleds sinking into it probably adds all this resist like extra resistance and stuff yeah and it was not moving like i really had to even like taking uh two big bags out of it trying to pull it it wasn't moving i had to like push it from from the back so yeah yeah now i know <laughs> now you know well so that was like a huge moment early on did that yeah. breed any like self-doubt or like are you battling that in your head or are you like i know i'm doing this no matter what you know unless, no absolutely yeah. so i at that point i thought well i've got two choices like i could like is this a situation where i need to turn around and head back um one because well, in the moment, you know, my feet were wet. So I was like, well, that's kind of a big issue when you're doing expeditions in the winter. Um, you don't want anything wet ever. And, but then I, I was just like, no, there's there's no way, you know, I came all the way out here. I can't turn back after 20 kilometers. I can't just give up without even trying. So I kept going, I kept pushing. And then with my my neck, I kind of thought, well, I don't think this is going to get any worse and it's not getting better when I'm stopping. Right. So like in the evenings in the tent, it wasn't getting better. It wasn't like if um, it, when I stopped, I didn't feel the pain anymore. And so, yeah, yeah, it was, you know, it, nothing was getting better, but it, it wasn't getting worse either. So I just thought, well, let's keep going. And then at a certain point, you're like too far into it that I thought, well, if I if I'm to like turn around and head back, then I've got all of this slush to go through again, because like this wasn't just a one time thing. Yeah. Right. I went through slush like multiple, multiple times. And it was a big issue uh, on this expedition was the main um, difficulties that I, I encountered. But yeah, so at a certain point, I was like, well, there's a lot of slush behind me that I know I'm going to have to go through if I go back, but maybe there isn't as much ahead of me. So yeah. let's just keep going. You were using hope. You're like, I'm hoping. Yes. Like, yeah. Was, did you keep encountering it like throughout? Was that just a constant? Yes, it was. Um, I think by the the second half of, of the fifth day wasn't as bad. And on the sixth day wasn't as bad. And um, I, I, wouldn't go through it as much because I learned to see the signs. And so I would, you know, I learned to read the ice and the snow a little bit better and see, okay, well, this might be slush. So I'd approach it a little bit more carefully. And then I'd bang my pole on the, on the snow, kind of like a, with a a probe to check if there's a crevasse. 
Um, and then I'd say, okay, well, this is hard packed snow or this is hard ice. So this is safe to travel on or um, there's, you know, it's wet underneath. So let's find a, a better path. And so I had to like navigate around those slush patches. And sometimes it was just a hundred meters to one side or a hundred meters to the other. And sometimes I had to like uh, navigate like kilometers away from my from my route to get around it yeah yeah what um that sounds incredibly hard first of all <laughs> so props it's, to you for finishing it yeah it's hard on the on the mental side right yeah. because you've got like your route that's like you know the best line to get across a bay and yeah uh, I was hugging the interior so closest to the island yeah uh, and yeah whenever I had to deviate from my path I was like okay well I guess I'm adding a few kilometers onto uh my my route today yeah and it was it was just mentally hard because I always had to be on I could yeah. I always had to make critical decisions I can just s shut my mind off and put my head down and ski you know yeah, yeah. and when you have to like be that intensely focused for like a week almost a week straight that has yeah. to just wear on you absolutely um at the, the end of fifth day the slush had become like a little bit less of an issue i was encountering okay. it a little, you know less and less but i was very tired at that day like I, I was skiing i think i skied 32 kilometers that day and at the very end the sun was setting and so i had my shadow uh to my side on my left and it was like not like a, a human-sized shadow right yeah and um I started thinking like my mind was drifting and I started thinking like oh there's you know I've got a teammate with me and I started thinking about us and we and and <laughs> thinking about like you know we're two on the, on the expedition and yeah. then um time went on a little bit and then the sun was setting a little bit more and the shadow moved a little bit forward and so it was a little bit in front of me and then again I was very tired and I I kind of caught myself thinking like you know approaching patches that could be slush yeah and not checking anymore because my shadow was in front of me and so I'm thinking well if my teammate can yeah. go he's not going through the snow and through the ice and getting slush and it must be safe so I'm safe to go yeah and so yeah when I realized like I'm thinking that my shadow is safe and so I should be safe as well that's when I said okay maybe it's time to stop for the day yeah yeah, yeah. well okay so that kind of brings me back to this idea of solitude and I just I I try to think about this, especially when I hear of adventures like the solo ones like like this, because I don't know if there's been a day in my life where I haven't interacted with anybody. You know what I mean? Like, I think I've always had at least one human interaction every single day of my life, probably. And you're going on to day six without having seen anybody. Are you noticing like a shift in like your your brain and how your brain's handling it i know you said you're you're super focused so you're not really considering like maybe the intimidation factor of being alone but like can you describe like just i don't know just like that like your brain starting to kind of fill in the need for human interaction with your shadow or something <laughs> yeah well like so there's that example and then on morning of day six um i saw this white bird and it was the first animal too that i've seen the whole time yeah i saw a ton of tracks also mind you like my head was down and i could barely you know lift it up to see where i was going so i wasn't looking around to see if there were any animals around but so i could see tracks but i didn't see any um actual animals so on the sixth day when i saw this bird i was so excited I thought this is so cool. There's a, another human being out here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, or not human, but there's another living <laughs> yeah. thing out yeah. here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was like one of the highlights of my trip, seeing that, that one bird. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know how, like I said, I was just so focused on yeah. 
you know, the kilometers going by and, and I would uh, kind of break up my days in five kilometer segments. Um, and then every five kilometers, I could stop and get a snack and a drink of water. And so, you know, it, it was just like, okay, five kilometers, still a snack, 4K, 3K, 2K. And, and then like, okay, stop, have a snack. And then when I stopped, that would be the moment where I could kind of reflect and think about what I was doing, how I was doing, um, the meaning of what I was doing, like why I was out there. And that's when, you know, I would think about my family, think about my boyfriend, think about, oh, yeah. you know, why I'm out here by myself. And then I kind of snap out of it really fast and not let my mind go there yeah. and then uh, get back to skiing. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. like, it, I mean, cause there's positives to knowing why you're out there and thinking about it, but there also can be negatives when you're out so far away by yourself, I have to imagine. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely like, it's a roller coaster of emotions when you're out there. Um, sometimes you're thinking like, this is the best thing and I'm so lucky to be out here and, and, uh, living this experience. And other times I'm like, well, why do I really need this? Like, yeah, because things are, are getting hard and, and it's not always, you're not always like riding the wave of positivity, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then thinking about, okay, well, like I'm out here to gain experience on being by myself and gain confidence and working the equipment and, and being solo. I'm like, well, it's okay. I've done it for three days now. Like I could just be home now. I've, I'm, I've mastered the, the <laughs> yeah. burner now, you know, I'm okay. But yeah. uh, I still had stuff to figure out. So it yeah. was good to be out there for longer. That's good. What, um, this is a weird question. Did you talk to yourself at all? Like, or like, did you go a whole day without even saying a word? Um, I wouldn't talk out loud. Okay. Um, although yeah, a few times, um, I would <laughs> mostly when I was, um, when I was going through slush, yeah. would be, uh, in those moments, I would say to myself, like, you know, not, not pretty words, not kind words, um, where I would kind of beat myself up because I was like, well, obviously that was slush. Like, why did you think that it wouldn't be, um, you know, the same looking type of ice was slush two kilometers ago? Why would <laughs> yeah. this one not be, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so some, some harsh words were said out there. Uh, some real words. We'll just say that you were talking yes. real to yourself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then like, um, well, I, I would talk to myself in like, yeah, those like, okay, two kilometers to a snack, like you can do it. And then you're like, okay, I want to look at my watch. But I had this rule that I could only look at my watch when it would beep at every kilometer because like it, I was out there for a long time. My pace was very slow. I was doing yeah. like 20 minute kilometers almost. And, um, and so I just had this urge of being like, oh my God, like it must be, I must have done a kilometer already. But if I was to look, I'd see that I'd only gone like 300 meters. And so then you get like, discouraged. Yeah. Yeah. Very discouraged. So, so I had this rule with myself that like, you're not allowed to look at your watch until it beeps. Yeah. Um, and, and then, so yeah, that was like a constant dialogue between myself and I yeah. being like, <laughs> no, keep going. No, keep going. No, you can't, can't look. No, but I, I want to look, I'm probably really close. And like, yeah. no, you're not allowed keep going. Yeah. 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 That's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever had like a job that you like, I was thinking like jobs I had when I was younger that I just didn't really like, you know? And yeah. I remember like, I was just like, a, I would stock paint cans at like a hardware store. And that's all I do for like hours and hours. And I remember that battle being like, don't look at the clock or being like, it's probably been like three hours. Right. And then I look and it's been 15 minutes. I'm like, no, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, same battle, same, same, battle, battle, out there same for sure. battle, just <laughs> in the middle of uh, Canada, you know, yeah, <laughs> in the winter. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. So what did it feel like when you 
were approaching the ending or you knew this is going to be a success you know like how did that feel so i was very skeptical that it was going to be a success until like the end of the very last day <laughs> yeah um because i was going through so many like hard conditions that um you know at a certain point i was like okay well if i keep uh going with my 30 kilometer days then i could be done in six days where my initial goal was to um do it in seven okay. so um i always had that kind of thought that i could do it in six days but also not wanting to let myself think that i could do it in six days and that yeah. i was um i was still mentally prepared to be out there for seven yeah and so until i was about five kilometers from the finish that's when i said okay well now i'm i'm probably going to be done in six days <laughs> <laughs> so um just never letting my mind go there because yeah. I thought, well, anything can happen, right? I can go through this horrible section of slush on the very last day mm. and it takes me forever to get through it or I have to do this major, major detour and that would add a day easily. Yeah. So I never wanted to like let myself um, be comfortable or just let up and say, okay, well, I'll be done in six and I don't have to uh, manage my equipment as well on the last uh, day that I'm packing up and yeah. stuff like that. Like, because I could very easily just have to set up my tent for one last night before I'm, I'm done. Yeah. But yeah, about five kilometers before getting to the end. So getting back to my starting point because I circumnavigated the island um, just before entering that last bay before turning the corner, I stopped on my sled and it was nice and sunny out. So I just kind of laid on my sled and then let all of the emotions kind of come in and being very proud of myself, happy I did it, yeah. um, proud I did it in the conditions that I had. And, uh, but also kind of mourning the fact that I'm not going to be out there anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and it's very conflictual um, because you're so happy that you're finally done. Yeah. But also at the same time, you're like, well, this was nice. This was, there were some fun parts in this uh, adventure. And now I have to go back to real life. So, yeah, yeah. that has to be such a weird moment you know and it's weird because it's probably this way i mean i felt this way in chile with all of you guys doing learning how to do the expeditions and and things like yeah. that but it's like you're reaching the end point and it's this sad feeling you're like oh i had this experience that was so lived in and so like palpable you know like i can in my brain i can like go right back to that expedition you know i can like think right back and feel the exact same way I was feeling in it. Um, but you know, that's like a fleeting moment and it is a weird thing to be like mournful about, but it's so yeah. true. Like it really is, you know? Yeah. And like I had, I had a routine down and everything was done in a specific order and like life was just simple out yeah. there. Um, I didn't have to think about anything except moving forward, you know, and, and to not have that anymore is a little bit sad, but at the same time, I was hurting so much. <laughs> yeah. I was just very happy to be done. <laughs> so like, It's a very big conflict between the two and they're kind of battling each other and, and yeah. battling for uh, a spot in my brain to like take over, <laughs> you know, and, and um, yeah, so just like those those two two emotions yeah. uh, 
being very present in that last moment. How has it been processing? Like, I know uh, you just wrote this, you kind of wrote your whole reflections on it. Um, and I haven't read them yet, so I'm very excited to do that. Um, but how is that? I mean, obviously that helps because you're able to like take the time, think about what happened, think about the meaning behind it and all of that, um, you know, but how has that process kind of been like thinking about it and reflecting on it? Um, very emotional. Yeah. I'm a very emotional person in life. Uh, and then when you go through such an intense adventure, um, while, while I'm living it, I can become very emotional. Uh, and then at the end, just like go making my brain go. Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, and then like at the end, making my brain go back to those, um, relive every day, yeah. uh, rethink about the, the struggles that I had, the good high points that I had. Um, yeah, it's just kind of reliving the whole thing over again, but in a different perspective, kind of like in a, a third person yeah. uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's super. And you've had experience doing expeditions. And so in some ways, have you been used to that kind of post expedition blues kind of thing? Or I don't know, like, but this one feels different, I think. Yeah, so this one is definitely different uh, in the sense that I kind of I was going into it as I don't want to say training because yeah. it, like it, it, it's not a training for a specific other expedition that I have, Yeah. but it was very um, like with a specific goal in mind of building up my confidence to then go on to, to yeah. do bigger things. And in the end, it ended up being definitely an adventure of its own. Um, and I had a lot of, um, overcoming of, of you know the snow conditions the the lake conditions that I had to do but like weather wise and all that that was just it was perfect I had beautiful weather um but yeah just kind of reflecting back on it was a little bit uh a little bit different I kind of looked at it in the sense of like okay what did I learn um and let me take note of this because this was the point of the expedition. And I want to not just like be proud of what I did, but also learn from what yeah. I experienced out there. Yeah. And it's probably weird, like not having expedition partners or other people you can call up and talk about, or, you know what I mean? Like talk about it a few days later or whatever. Yeah. Because it's always hard to, explain to someone exactly what went on out yeah. there yeah. Um, if, if they weren't there to experience their own version of it but I think that's why putting it in words helps me um, kind of discuss it and um, yeah go through those emotions and uh, talk about it with myself I guess yeah yeah that's awesome well I mean huge congrats that's completely epic and very inspirational um and all of that i i want to hear it so there's there's a whole bunch of different aspects to take this in so we might have to do like a part two at some point which i would yeah. be honored <laughs> to do but because i know you've been like a lifelong athlete i know you have so many stories um you know during all of like skiing and and being a paddle paddling athlete is that what they call it <laughs> a rower rower God yeah <laughs> oh my gosh um yeah but like i know you have a bunch of stories from that um yeah. but i want to hear a little bit about just like getting into expeditions i know that you started off doing an impossible to possible expedition in chile um can you kind of just explain what this whole experience has been like um, yeah, so like you said, I was a high-performance athlete. Um, I was... Uh, a Not a paddler, skier. though. Not a paddler. No. Definitely a rower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was a, a cross-country skier and a rower. 
uh, both sports at a high level. And when I decided to retire from high performance sports, um, kind of went into like a little depression phase of yeah. like, you know, losing my identity as an athlete, not knowing what I was going to do. Um, and that's when impossible, impossible to possible came into my life. I saw uh, um, an ad on Facebook that was calling for um, youth ambassadors to apply for uh, the expedition in Chile uh, that was like six months later so I was like well got nothing to lose I like running let's sign up and uh, from yeah I got picked as a youth ambassador for for that expedition and um, yeah from that point on kind of the world of adventure and um, an expedition opened up I got into ultra running a little bit after that expedition where I started sign, signing up for uh, races here in Quebec, worked my way up through the distances and then kind of realized I was getting sucked back into the world mm. of uh, competition Yeah, yeah. that I was trying to avoid and that I had already experienced, I had already explored and I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. And so, yeah, it just gradually kind of let uh, races go and not signing up for them as much. I might do one or two every season, but that's pretty much it. Um, I find a lot more um, meaning in doing my own adventures. Yeah. And they're not all super big or... Um, you know, as intense as, as this one, sometimes they're just little backyard adventures, but I find I get a lot more out of those than I do out of, uh, organized races. Yeah. So that's how I got into just, you know, multiple days of, uh, adventuring in the backyard and then got into, well, I, I kept close contact with Ray Mm -hmm. um that that found it impossible to possible so he invited me on some of his um expeditions with capic one as uh, a co-guide because i did have experience in guiding clients um as a, a summer job when i was in university um i did adventure travel guiding at west and so he invited me on on some of those expeditions went to lake baikal in the winter uh and so that was like a, another big intro to winter camping and winter expeditions and then from that point on i was like well i think i want to do this and i yeah. want to like push myself in this sphere more than races yeah, yeah. tell me i want to hear a little bit about lake baikal and so how long was that expedition you know i heard you told some stories uh when we were when we were in chile on the one yeah. a few months ago but so uh lake Baikal was was crazy because it was just before the pandemic yeah and obviously before the war in in russia and ukraine and um so you know applied for the visa and and like for me it was a big deal to travel to russia it's like this very foreign land i've traveled to other places but like russia seems you know it's like the similar. other side of the world yeah yeah and um so and also one of the, my first long winter expeditions um so we ran across the lake because there was barely any snow on the lake it was just like this crazy sheer ice that was almost like would give you vertigo uh, wow. because like you're you're looking into the emptiness uh, and then it's got also these cool features of like the cracks in the ice to show you the depth of the ice and it's like it's crazy crazy thick uh, and it's got these bubbles from the seismic activity underneath that's happening underneath and so it's cracking and it's it's like rumbling constantly and uh, I had that on this expedition as well. It's um, so Lake Manicouagan is the deepest lake in Quebec, um, which which is really cool because it's got a life of its own and it's yeah. it's speaking to you and it cracks and 
uh, kind of woke me up a few times <laughs> during the night. Uh, yeah. Because like it, you really think that the ice right underneath you is cracking. Um, That's terrifying. Like yeah, I'm, it is. and you know, probably logically, like I'm fine. Like yeah, but, yeah. It, it's still it, it plays mind games. Yeah. Uh, and but I had that experience from like by Cal when like it was ten times more intense. Yeah. Uh, in Siberia, so yeah. And you did you was it you know, for that first experience on something where that's happening, you're with other people. So they're able to exactly. be like, this is normal versus like, if that was your first experience by yourself, you'd be like, Oh, what is happening? You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I'd be way more freaked out if it happened for the first time and I was solo. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can't even imagine what, um, like what other, I guess, how many days was Lake Baikal? Uh, six days six days and so yeah. what was that experience like because i mean i have to imagine not only just the actual adventure part but like the travel and all of that has to be so far outside of your comfort zone like it's just yeah. it's just wild yeah <laughs> so um you know you, you get there you've got multiple planes to get there and then uh you kind of step off the plane in this tiny city in the middle of Siberia and um we went to this restaurant on the first night and I got sick oh. like very very sick me and and my uh, roommate got extremely sick and we were so we traveled the next day and to this little lodge on the side of the lake. And um, that night, we were both up all night sharing the bathroom. Oh, God. It, it was horrible. And yeah. then today, you know, we're starting the expedition completely depleted. Um, couldn't hold food in. Oh. Okay, well, whatever. We're, we're still going. So, um yeah, and then it was it was fun because it was I was there as um like a I'd say like an apprentice guide yeah in the situation. So uh Ray and Stefano would ask a lot of me and like prove let not prove yourself, but like, you know, you're the one that's getting up and to go get more ice to melt yeah. make water. And you're the one that's that's doing all these things and making sure that the clients are happy and all these uh, all these things. So I took a lot on uh, on my shoulders on that trip, but it was a great great learning experience for me. And um, and then yeah, learning to uh, interact with uh, with the clients on that trip was great too. We had a great group. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we had this tent. It was like a fisherman's tent, like an ice fishing tent. Yeah. That was like our mess tent. Um, and so in the evenings, everyone would come into this tent and we have the stove going and um, we would all eat together. And, and so that was a lot of fun just being in that environment, but like extremely close. And, and um, yeah, then everyone would go off to their individual tents for the night and uh, Ray Stefano and I would sleep in that in that mess tent and I was like guys like I'm sleeping in the middle of you because like <laughs> I want heat <laughs> from both your bodies like I don't want to be on the side of a tent uh, with the cold uh, yeah on my side so yeah that was yeah, you don't want like Siberia stealing your heat basically you're like get out no, of here Siberia exactly. stop it exactly that's crazy I want to hear so like one more kind of and i'm sure like here's the thing it's it's crazy to even ask about these adventures and not like do a complete deep dive because i know there has to be so much that went into it and so many stories yeah. and all that um but you went to baffin island correct like you yeah. and that whole place seems absolutely just completely wild completely remote um yeah. can you just like briefly share because not only are you super remote and it's really cold and all that but there's like polar bear danger and like all sorts of crazy stuff yeah so that expedition again was uh, with ray and with kevin and um we you know started in this little community 
we snowmobiled out up through the the fjords and that was an experience in itself uh of riding in the back of those hamletics they're like this wooden sleds that have no suspension whatsoever that was like, the story i remember it. you and howie talking oh, about of God. just getting beaten up by yeah. the snowmobile <laughs> i swear i thought like so it was like the first day was like 12 hours of that um and i thought i had like broken ribs and that my you know i'd need like a double hip replacement uh i was like okay my body is done after this and then so you get off of the snow machines and the next day you're you're having to ski across uh a valley uh on in Batam island and the first thing that we see in the morning when we wake up there are polar bear tracks that are going straight through camp so like uh okay well obviously good thing they're going in the opposite direction of where we want to travel that day so yeah. we just follow the polar bear tracks um up the valley and unless the bear's the walking backwards then you're screwed you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah the chances of, of that are, are slim I, it's a I'd tricky think. polar bear he's just trying to trick you yeah <laughs> exactly. that's crazy though like ah oh, that just has to be really intimidating just to see a Extremely. giant polar bear track yeah yeah and um but at least it was just the tracks and that's one thing like when you're traveling to to the arctic a lot of people will pay big money to go and see the polar bears but mm. we did not want to see any um and so yeah and then the first night that we set up camp after our first uh, day of, of skiing uh we end up staying in that camp for 40 hours because of a windstorm and it wow. was like minus 50 degrees celsius on the thermometer plus 100 kilometer an hour winds um and it, it was just absolutely crazy we couldn't get out because like the risk of us trying to tear down the tent uh one it would have yeah. blown away yeah. and then the chances of us being able to set it back up that evening would have been slim to none yeah so we just stayed in the tent for the whole day risk of frostbite was too high anyways and then uh yeah so 40 hours with again like it wasn't a solo expedition i was with uh ray and kevin but honestly i probably felt more alone mm. in those in that environment in those 40 hours um just because like at a certain point you run out of stories to tell each other and uh you're all battling your own thoughts um you're kind of alone in in your mind and you're not wanting to share too much with your teammates because you know that they're also going through stuff yeah and uh you don't want to like contaminate everyone with your negative thoughts you know yeah yeah wow <laughs> that is yeah that's that's really interesting and i think probably a lot of people who have done these events whether solo or whether with other people they could probably relate to that because you're right like you you are internalizing everything you know like yeah. your frustrations your fears and all of that because it's not going to help it's not going to help the situation no exactly and and like that's a point where we definitely didn't have anything else to do and and nothing to take our mind off of well we're stuck here we're not moving we're not going anywhere yeah and um yeah 40 hours is a long time to just be laying in the tent in a small tent you know it's a three-person tent for three people in there with our uh with our bags and all that and uh you've got just enough space to like turn around and reach the the stove and boil water and and that's it so you're just laying there thinking about every decision that led up to you being there you're like yeah. oh man yeah, yeah. it's just something <laughs> wrong in my life <laughs> life giving you time to uh contemplate what exactly. happened uh exactly. that's amazing well val i'm very excited to see what you do next um yeah. i hope you're taking time to celebrate and internalize what you just did because that yeah. is absolutely incredible and huge and i do think there's a tendency especially in athletes and um adventure outdoor adventurers and things like this but there's this tendency to be like okay i did that 
check check off the box what's the next thing and i just think there's also a lot to be said for like celebration and feeling good and and you know internalizing and doing all that too so hopefully you're doing that and and i can't wait to see what amazing stuff you do with all of these new skills and knowledge and all that yes thank you thank you for that i will definitely try to not look at it so much as like oh this was a training expedition and and be proud and happy of what i did and and realize that it was a big expedition a big undertaking and i i uh i succeeded yeah and like just yeah. a huge experience you know yeah. um where can people kind of like follow your journey and you know you put up these awesome videos uh you you all inspired me i'm like oh like cool videos on instagram are like a thing and so i was yeah. like all right i gotta try some of these but uh where can people kind of like follow along yeah, so I'm uh, most active on TikTok uh, and also on Instagram, and both of my handles are um, at the Running Panda. Um, yeah, so you can follow me there, and then I uh, just posted a link to uh, my blog post on my last uh, expedition. The French version is out right now, and then tomorrow I'll be posting the English version. Awesome. By the time this is out, yeah. English version will be on here. I'll put it on the show notes yeah, and all that. The fact that you're on TikTok makes you instantly cooler than me. And yeah. the fact that <laughs> that you've circumnavigated the eye of Quebec just sounds so badass that uh you should just that should be like on your business card or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll awesome. put it on there. <laughs> okay. All righty, that wraps up this week's episode of Like a Beautiful Podcast. Uh, huge thanks to Val for coming on, sharing her story. Uh, she has a full blog post up about this if you want to hear more. Um, it is at valsaysthisnaptime.wordpress.com, which hands down is one of the coolest blog names of all time. And especially having... <laughs> done something like this i'm like yeah it is nap time that sounds really tiring and uh i can't imagine being out in the cold for hours and hours and hours and then setting up the tent and then finally laying down and i have to imagine that's one of the best sleeps ever you know maybe not the first night maybe the first night you're still adjusting but the next couple nights after that, once you get used to sleeping in a tent, I have to imagine you're just out of it. Like you just fall asleep nearly instantly. But uh, but yeah. So anyways, check that out. Uh, it's really well written, um, really entertaining uh, and, and informative. It says a whole bunch about what it is like to go on uh, on something by yourself for the very first time. Uh, which is really, really cool. And that was kind of the focus I wanted to have on the episode. Um, because like you heard, Val has done amazing things all around the globe. Uh, and it's awesome. She's learned from mentors, you know. Um, she's got to go out on expeditions with experienced people and kind of learn from them and learn from their experiences. Uh, but now she's applying it to her own things. And that's really cool. And I think the way she did it was really intentional. Um, she wants to be able to learn how to do these things by herself. She wants to be self-reliant. Uh, and I think that's that's really, really cool. Um, and I know she mentioned she doesn't really know what her next thing is, but she knows she wants these skills. And I think that's kind of like an interesting way to look at adventure and being an athlete and all that stuff but also just to look at life right you don't really know what the destination is going to be you don't really know the exact thing that you're training for but we do know if we have skills and the more skills that we have the better off we're going to be the better prepared we're going to be um to be flexible and to be able to take on whatever the obstacle may be, whatever the situation may be, you know? And I think the way Val approached this with a focus on that um, is really, really cool. And I think it makes the whole experience meaningful and not just the finish line. You know, we got to think about that. Like 
how can I find passion in this moment right now and not just the finish line? Um, I feel like I'm doing that in teaching right now because we are in the midst of what I think from all my years of experience teaching is the hardest month of the year, which is February. February is like, you know, it's kind of like in a in an ultra or or a, a big experience or whatever a race where you're like three fourths the way through it or like two thirds the way through it. And you're, you're tired, you're beat up, but the end isn't in sight yet. Um, and then you just you just keep going, you know, but how do you find passion in those moments? You know, with February, we're like two thirds the way through the school year. There's not really an end in sight yet. Uh, this week for me, I'm doing parent teacher conferences too, on top of everything. Um, so how do you find passion in that? You know, and it's, it's not by thinking about the finish line. I'll tell you that much. Uh, it's about thinking about the moments and thinking about how can I show up as my best self right now in this moment? Um, and what can I learn from this moment that I can use as a tool for the rest of my journey? You know, you're not really thinking about the finish line. If you're thinking about the finish line too much, um, I don't know. You're going to be disappointed, I guess, because you're going to get to the finish line and then you're going to realize, oh, it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be. Um, but if you're just picking up skills or you're thinking about, hey, you know, how can I be the best version of me right now? Then you're good, man. That's what it's all about. All right. <laughs> I'm just giving myself a pep talk right now because we're like in the middle of February. Like, I think it's like the exact middle of February right now, probably when I'm recording this. So, um, all right. Well, we'll be back at you next week. Uh, we have a couple good ones recorded and I'm super excited to share them. So come on back and, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you then.